You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. Um, good evening. Right, uh, We're going to be doing uh, things a little bit differently this evening. Um, we're, we're taking a break from our study of the Gospel of Mark for the next six weeks. Um, I'm in two weeks from now, I'm going to be taking a month off, as I do every year, and we're going to have some uh, different people from different churches come in and preach, and I'm quite excited for that. They're going to be preaching on various topics. Uh, but for the next two weeks, I'm going to be preaching to you about the diaconate. If that's a word you're not familiar with, it just means the body of deacons, right? Just like all your elders, that's called the pastorate. All of your deacons is called the diaconate, all right? So I'm going to be preaching to you about deacons uh, and their role and their function and their qualifications. Uh, but this evening, it's going to be their role and function. Next week, we're going to focus more on their qualifications. Um, now, this sermon is a bit different compared to what we're used to doing. Uh, ordinarily, I pick one text of Scripture and just walk through it, and that portion of Scripture is usually part of a book that we're going through together, like we've been in Mark for ever. Uh, but tonight, I'm going to do what's, uh, I'm going to preach what's called a topical sermon. It's kind of funny then in this church I have to explain what a topical sermon is because we don't do them very often. Uh, most churches get it the other way around. Um, but a topical sermon just means that I've chosen a topic this evening. I've chosen the topic of deacons, and I'm just going to preach on that topic in general without planting down on any text in particular. Um, though, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, I will spend the most time there, but I'm going to be in a ton of other places, and you're not going to catch me. All right, so if you just flip, flip to Acts 6, that'll be good enough for this evening. Um, but yeah, we're not going to anchor down in just one passage like normal. Um, now, real quick, let me try to answer a question you may be asking yourself right now. Um, why is Pastor Dave going to preach to us about deacons? All right, that, se that seems kind of strange maybe to some of you. Uh, I, have, I have a few reasons, three, uh, why I want to preach about this. First, I have never preached about it before. Uh, I, yeah, it's a good reason. Uh, I've never preached on the diaconate before, and it's good to do so from time to time. Our, our Lord established two offices in his church, and therefore we need to know about them both. And often the pastorate is much more well understood than the diaconate is. Um, but we need to understand them both, right? If we're going to be a healthy church, we need to understand both. Second, this is going to be good for our deacons to hear and be reminded of the work that they have been ordained to do. Know this, I hope you're fully convinced of this by the end of this sermon. The office of deacon is no less important to the well-being and health of the church as the office of elder. It's, it's incredibly important. Both offices must function well or the church will suffer loss, I promise. Third reason I want to preach about this this evening, or for the next two weeks rather, is upon studying the diaconate in my own personal time, I've come to realize that we, as a church, need a bit of reformation in our thinking and practice concerning the diaconate, and we'll focus more on that next week. But, you know, what better month than October, right, to teach on something that needs reformation, right? If we're going to reform something, this is the month to do it. And since teaching and understanding must precede true reformation, it's fitting and good for me to teach to you about the office of deacon. Now, before we jump into the topic of deacons, I want you to know that I have decided to do this sermon in a question-and-answer kind of format, right? It's my, it's my favorite. 
I love Q&A sessions at conferences. Uh, I think that they uh, help us focus under specific or for, rather focus on specific items under consideration. And to keep it real, it makes preaching topics easier for me. Uh, right, so I have to do this, so we're going to do it my way. Uh, <laughs> uh, but with that said, let's go ahead and go to our Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing on the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening, and we ask for you to bless us as we sit under the preaching of your word. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would operate in your prophetic office and speak to our hearts by your word and spirit as the preacher preaches. Spirit of God, we ask that you would open our minds to understand and receive the word with joy and faith and obedience. Triune God, have mercy upon us and lead us in your ways according to your word. We ask for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right. I almost said you may be seated, right? It's like force of habit or creatures of habit. Um, first question to begin, right? And, and this is going to be probably a bit like a lecture until maybe the last question or two, uh, just to be honest with you. Uh, but this is good for us. We need to be taught, right? We don't come to church just for some kind of an emotional buzz, right? We come to learn the word of God, right? So just wanted to put that to you. Um, but the first question to begin with, what is a deacon? What is a deacon? I'm going, I'm going real broad here. Simply put, a deacon is a church officer, right? It's a church officer. And the diaconate is one of two offices. In, the, in, in Christ's church, you have the office of elders and the office of deacons. Now, when I say church officer, I mean this. I mean an appointed official of the church, right? That's what I don't mean police officers, right? I mean it's an official of the church, appointed by the common consent of the congregation, that is the suffrage of the congregation, and installed by the elders or pastors, right? So a church officer is a member of a local congregation who is appointed to a special role, special function within the church. It's a member with special duties to perform and responsibilities to manage. That's what I mean by deacons are church officers. And the reason why we believe that a deacon is a church officer is found in a couple of passages. Um, first, we read this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So here we see the Apostle Paul greet the church of Philippi in general, right, to the saints. This is all the believers in the church of Philippi. He's greeting the common membership of the church, but then he mentions two other groups who are distinct from the saints, but obviously would also be counted in their number because they're believers, right? And those two groups are to the overseers. That is elders. There's something going on out there. Someone is angry. Um, yeah, sorry. I apologize. I'm, I'm a bit frazzled over that. That was, that was intense. Um, Thank you very much. There's one of your deacons actually going to check it out, so praise God for him. Um, let's, let's try to focus. Sorry, let's try to refocus on this. Um, so he greets the membership in general, but then Paul mentions two other groups who are distinct from the saints, but also counted in their number. Those are the overseers. That would be your elders and your pastors, right? Not elders and pastors, but elders, pastors, overseers, bishops, those are all the same idea, right? Just different words for the same office. And the deacons. Now, this tells us that within the church at Philippi, there are two special groups of people. 
right? Again, elders and deacons. These people are marked out and set apart from the membership. We see Paul doing that himself in the greeting. He sets them out and marks them as different. Now, real quick, I want to make a note here. This does not mean that elders and deacons are super Christians or anything like that, right? Just because they're set apart from the ordinary membership does not mean they're super Christians. It just means that they can be recognized as distinct from the general membership of the church while still being considered part of that general membership, right? So they're not super Christians. They're just set apart within the membership. Um, but not only do we see these two groups mentioned side by side in Philippians to the overseers, elders, and deacons, but we also see it happen again in 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, we read this. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So our English translation and the majority of good English translations sees the overseers, that is the elders, as having an office. Again, this just means that the person is an appointed official with a special role within the church. And I don't think that any of us would dispute that the elders of a church have a special role. I don't think anyone of us would, would really deny that. Uh, that the elders of the, of the church have a special function, special responsibilities within the congregation, namely those of teaching, preaching, ruling, governing the church under Christ, right, making major decisions, things like that. But it's relevant to us that deacons are mentioned alongside the office of elders in 1 Timothy 3. Right? So again, they're mentioned side by side. Paul puts elders and deacons in Philippians 1.1 right next to each other. In his letter to Timothy in chapter 3, he mentions elders and then deacons, again, side by side. So it appears then that deacons hold an office like the elders do. Not only that, but if you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, just read 1 Timothy, right? Just write that as your homework. Just, write, just read 1 Timothy. Um, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, you'll see that there are certain qualifications for men to meet if they are to be ordained as elders. Likewise, there are certain qualifications for deacons mentioned in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 12. And the moral requirements for a deacon are just as high as that uh, uh, for an elder. And the fact that both elders and deacons are given qualifications tells us that these two groups are unique within the church and not all members are part of those groups. Again, there's qualifications on them. So these are set apart, distinct members of the congregation. Again, these are officers of the church. These are men who are set apart for special roles, duties, and responsibilities. Now, uh, real quick here, I, I want to point out something that gets confused a lot nowadays. Um, deacons and elders are similar because they're both officers of the church, duly appointed and ordained members of the church. But it also must be said in any study of either office, uh, of the pastorate or the diaconate, that the offices are distinct from one another. Right? They're distinct offices. Deacons do not rule the church. Right? Deacons do not rule the church according to the scriptures. They do have a measure of legitimate authority, as we'll see later, but it is an authority that is delegated by the elders to oversee certain tasks. We're going to see that in Acts chapter 6. The elders are the overseers of the church. They're the ones who are to govern the church under Christ, not the deacons. Right? So deacons are not in equal authority with the elders. And I want to bring that up because I think a lot of us, especially if you grew up Baptist uh, or, or, or maybe even some kind of non-denominational, um, you, you see in the 20th and 21st centuries that many churches began to get this wrong. 
And what they do is they have their churches set up with one single elder, right, their pastor, and a board of deacons under them that govern the church, right? A lot of us are pretty familiar with that because we probably came out of something like that. But in that setting, the pastor sits on the deacon board, and he has one vote along with the deacons. And the deacons make all the governing decisions. That board makes the governing decisions for the church. And in that unbiblical form of church government, what do you have? The deacons are functioning as elders. They've not met the qualification to be an elder, or rather qualifications to be an elder. They've met the qualifications to be a deacon. And yet they're governing the church anyway. Whenever the scriptures tell us it is only men who are elders who are to govern the church. Right? So... Again, the, the, the deacons and elders are to have separate roles within the church. That's, that's my point here. A lot of churches get that wrong. They need uh, reformed in that area. But the deacons are under the authority of the elders. I just wanted to make that clear before we go any further. Um, but what do deacons do? Right? What do they do? What, what, what's their purpose? We've, I, I hope that I've established, at least probably most of you just took it for granted, but I just wanted to prove to you that the diaconate is an office, but what is the function of the diaconate? You know, pastors oversee, pastors shepherd and govern and rule and teach the church, but what is the job of the deacon? I'm going to keep it real with you for a minute. The scriptures never give lists for the duties of deacons like they do for elders. You won't find it. Right? Like in the pastoral epistles in First and Second Timothy and Titus, you'll see Paul say many things that elders are supposed to do. Right, Lists sometimes over the responsibility of elders. But you have no such things for deacons anywhere in the Bible. Right? But I do think that the scriptures, and I'm going to prove to you, the scriptures do provide some hints and examples for what deacons are supposed to do. Uh, remember this, just real quick. The scriptures, are, they're sufficient. Right? I, th- I hope we would all agree on that. The word of God is sufficient. So God has not left us to our own devices to try to figure out what deacons are supposed to do. His word is sufficient to instruct us in all the things that we need to know within the church. All right, so there are some hints and an example in the scriptures that tell us what deacons are to do. The first hint we have as to what deacons, the purpose and function of deacons are, is found in the name of the office itself. Some of you may not know this. A lot of you probably do. But deacon is not a translation. It's a transliteration of a word, right? It's a transliteration of a Greek word that literally just means servant. That's what deacon means. In the Bible, we see the words diakonos, that is servant, diakonoi, that is servants, plural, diakonia, that is service, and diakonio, right, to serve. And there's a few other forms of that word, but all those words have the same root, right? You can hear deacon in all of them, can't you? They all have the same root, meaning to serve, whether one who serves or service in general. So the words by themselves mean to be a servant or to serve. Now that's broad, right? Super broad. Um, But that's also really telling about what the deacons are to do. They're to be servants. They're to be servants of the church, servants within the church. Now I want to be clear with you um, about something concerning the word diakonos, right? That word deacon and all the words that come from it. That word can be used to refer to the office of a deacon, uh, or it can be used to refer generically to a servant, right? It just depends upon the context, right? So sometimes it can mean the office. Sometimes it can mean something more generic. And if that sounds weird to you, I want you to know we do this in our own language, right? Here's my example for you. In America, to be a representative means that you're just representing someone else, right? It's real. You're, someone else is going to go represent another person. They are that person's representative. 
But if you are a capital R representative, what does that mean? You hold an office in the lower house of Congress. Right? You're, a house, you're in the house of representatives. You're a representative Bill Johnson, right? Context is going to indicate how you're using the word, right? How is the person using the word representative? Well, it depends on how they're, how they're using it in the sentence. Then you'll know they're talking about a state rep or are they talking about just a generic representative. The same goes for the word diakonos. It can mean a regular servant or it can mean an officer of the church. It just depends on the context. Uh, some examples real quick so you don't think that I'm fooling you. Um, when Paul mentioned the overseers and deacons in Philippians 1.1, he's clearly referring to an office because he's putting them side by side with the elders. But then we see this in John chapter 2. You remember the wedding at Cana? I thought this was a fitting text considering the festivities of yesterday. John chapter 2 verse 5 we see his mother, Jesus' mother, said to the servants, the diaconoi, the deacons, do whatever he tells you. Well, they weren't deacons in the church because the church wasn't established yet, right? These are just servants at the party. Mary said to the servants that they're, the diaconoi, do whatever he tells you to do. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 13, in one of Jesus' parables, we read this. Then the king said to the attendants, or servants, the diaconoi, he said to his deacons, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness, right? So as I said, whether or not the word should be translated as deacon or servant just depends upon the context, right? Depends on the context of the passage. Um, so the name of the office, again, back to it, tells us that deacons are to serve the church. But the, the, the next obvious question is, what kind of serving? Right? What kind of serving are we talking about? Do we have an example? Well, I'm glad you asked. And if you didn't ask, it doesn't matter because I have a microphone and you don't. Right? But I am glad you asked because, yes, we do have uh, one example of the diaconate in the Bible. And this example is found in Acts chapter 6. As I told you earlier, go ahead and turn there. It's in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And now I, I want to be honest. Um, some people argue that Acts... I'm not trying to be as transparent as I can about all this. That's why I keep saying I want to be honest or I want to be clear. Um, some people argue that Acts chapter 6 does not record the first diaconate, but in my studies, such people are a minority voice. And to my knowledge, it's been basically the agreement of the church throughout history that this passage records the establishing of deacons in the church. Um, people will sometimes, to say that Acts 6 is not referring to the original diaconate, they'll say, well, Acts chapter 6 never uses the word deacon. Therefore, the text cannot be talking about the diaconate. Uh, but I would argue that that is a form of hyper-biblicism. Uh, what I mean is that just because a word, deacon, is not used, does not mean that the office is not being described. Right? Let me give you an example. If I begin to speak, again, I, I've got marriage on my mind. Right? If I begin to speak about the woman that I love, the mother of my child, the one I share my life with, the one who is closest to me, my beloved, right? Everyone knows I'm talking about my wife, right? If you know me at all, if you know the context, you know I'm talking about my wife. But I didn't use the word wife, and I didn't use the name Autumn Faith Dowdy, did I? I didn't, but I described her. Right? I described things that she does. I described my relationship to her. Right? So though the word diakonos is not used in Acts chapter 6, that doesn't mean that the diaconate is not being described. But two or three derivative words are used in this text, as you'll see here in a moment. And the principle of chosen, set-apart, ordained servants of the church is absolutely present, and no one can deny that. So let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 6. We're going to walk through it a little bit, and I want to highlight the relevant bits for our topic this evening. Let me just go ahead and read it to you. Now, 
In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, that is, the daily diakonia. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve diakonian, to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, let me summarize what we just read, and I think you'll see the big points that are relevant to our topic. If not, I'll make them quite plain here in a moment. All right, so the church is still in its infancy. It's still only in Jerusalem. The apostles have not yet went out to the nations. They've not went out to the Gentiles yet. Remember, this is only Acts chapter 6. This is early church, early, early church. But the church by that time had grown tremendously since the day of Pentecost. Some scholars estimate 20,000 people in the church at Jerusalem at this time. It's madness, right? More conservative would be like 15,000, but again, uh, I read a couple of different people say about 20,000 people in the church at Jerusalem at this time. But with all of this beautiful gospel growth, a problem arose. We read about it in verse 1, right? And, and what is that? The Hellenists, that is the Greek-speaking, Greek-cultured Jewish Christians, where everyone in the early church, very beginning, was a Jew, Right, they were Jewish Christians, but the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking, Greek-cultured Jewish Christians, began to complain against the Hebrew-speaking, Hebrew-cultured Jewish Christians that their widows, the Hellenistic widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution of food, the daily serving of food. Now, why was this happening? Why, why were the Hellenistic widows being neglected? That's a sermon for another time. But it was probably some cultural prejudice that the Hebrew speakers had against the Greek speakers. Seriously, it was probably some kind of cultural prejudice going on within the early infant church that needed to be overcome. But the problem, notice this, the problem is, was, was a very ordinary, very physical, very earthly, very material issue. What was the problem? Getting enough food to each widow in the church evenly. Right? That was the problem that, that reared its head in the early church. And what do the apostles do? They act wisely. And they act very quickly to fix this problem under divine inspiration. What do they do? The text tells us they summoned the entire church together. said the full number of the disciples. Right? So this is all the members of the church. And they told the members to choose seven men from among them. And that the apostles would appoint the chosen seven to the duty of food distribution. The King James Version put it this way. I like this better. We will appoint them over this business, right? As in to oversee that this duty gets done. But they aren't just to pick any men. Notice there were qualifications, right? Weren't there qualifications in the text? They must be men of good reputation. They must be full of the Holy Spirit. And they must be very wise. And personally, I think that these are three big buckets 
that you can fit all of the qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3 into. Full of the Holy Spirit, wise, good reputation. And so the church, they were pleased with this. They said, that sounds great. And they chose seven men, right? And the apostles prayed over them and laid their hands on them. What is this? It's a picture of ordination. It's a picture of ordination. The seven, and with the prayer and the laying on of hands, they were being set apart for a particular work of serving the widows in the church of Jerusalem. Right? The laying on of hands, just so you know that I'm not uh, crazy here, the laying on of hands was a fairly common Jewish practice. Right? And what it did was, and there's an, uh, an example of this, I forget where it is, I didn't put it in my notes, it's in Numbers, I believe. Numbers 23, perhaps? I, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, it conveyed this concept that a person was marked out from the ordinary congregation and given authority by the leadership and set to a particular task or responsibility. That's what the laying on of hands symbolizes. And for these seven men, they were appointed to the task of serving the task of making sure that all the widows received enough food each day since the widows had no one to provide for them. And why was all of this done? Why was this diaconate established? These men chosen, meeting qualifications, set apart by the elders and installed to an office. Why was this done? Because a very ordinary, very material need presented itself in the church and the apostles needed help to see it done. The apostles needed help. Now, I, I would argue that in the infancy of the church in Jerusalem, uh, the apostles functioned as the elders of the church. They did. I mean, if you can read different passages, I think it's First Peter 5, Peter refers to himself as their fellow elder. Paul considered himself a pastor, right? Though Paul wouldn't have been there yet. I get that. I'm being a little bit uh, anachronistic there. Uh, but the apostles considered themselves elders, so I think that the twelve were the original elders over the church in Jerusalem. And they give their own reasoning in verses 2 and 4 why they established the diaconate. They said in verse 2, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve or to deacon tables. And later in verse 4 they said, But we, so these men, we're going to appoint them over this duty of service, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the office of deacon was created by the apostles under divine inspiration so that the elders of the churches would be able to devote their full attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's why. Right? So you, you see that the elders are to teach and pray. Right? That, that's, that's the primary responsibility of the pastorate. Uh, and and those, those preaching and prayer is to come before everything else. And this includes public preaching, public prayer, right, what I'm doing this evening, and private teaching, right, discipleship, training elders, counseling, etc., and much, much, much private prayer for the church's mission and its membership. If a minister is worth his salt, he prays a lot, like a lot for the people of God that he's in charge of and for the mission of the church in general. But nothing is to be permitted to come between the elders and, and these crucial tasks in the life of the church, right? And why is that? Because the spiritual life of the church is the most important thing. So nothing is meant to keep to hinder the elders from their responsibilities. And so we see in Acts 6 that the diaconate was created to be an aid to the elders of the church. So the elders would not have to be consumed with the spiritual and physical needs of the church. So really the diaconate was created 
by the Lord Jesus working through the apostles so that the church could be totally cared for, both materially and spiritually. And the Lord knows that the elders can't do it all. Praise God for that. <laughs> right? The Lord knows that the elders can't do it all and that the work of, of the word and the work of prayer are very time-consuming, and he doesn't want the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer to suffer. But, I love this, our Lord also doesn't want the material needs of his church to go ignored either. Our Lord is so kind as to give us deacons to care for the ordinary, non-spiritual matters of his people. Why is that? Because our Lord wants his people to be taken care of holistically, body and soul, material needs and spiritual needs, right? And so he gives both elders and deacons to his church as gifts. That's beautiful. So in light of all this, allow me to, to take a moment and summarize the big picture points of what we've learned so far, all right? Because there's more. Deacons are officers of the church. They are qualified men chosen by the church who are set apart and given a specific role and task among God's people, and that task is one of serving, right? Serving whatever need arises among the people of God. In Acts 6, in Jerusalem, the problem was a matter of widows receiving food. But the principle that we see, right, the principle we see in Acts 6 is that the deacons were to help relieve the elders by attending to the ordinary matters of church life so that the elders could focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. That's the principle. They're to focus on the ordinary, non-spiritual matters of church life in order to free up the elders. Taking that principle into account, we see that the diaconate is supposed to be like water. Right? And what I mean is, water fills up whatever container it's put into. Right? It's an old illustration people use for a lot of different things. Right? Water is shape-shifting. It fills up whatever it's put into. Likewise, the principle we get from Acts 6 is that deacons are to fill up whatever situation arises within the church. Deacons are shape-shifters. Right? That's what they're supposed to be, designed by God to serve the church however that they're needed at the time, to help with those material, ordinary needs of the church, whatever they might be, under the direction of the elders. And brothers and sisters, the ordinary needs of the church are many. There are many. The diaconate, or the diaconate is an office of many hats. All right, now let me give some examples of ways deacons can function. All right, primarily, we see that the diaconate is to serve the poor within the church. Right? That is the explicit example of Acts chapter 6 that, that cannot be ignored. The deacons then are, are to be over the benevolence ministries of the church. That is giving help to poor members and even outsiders who come asking for relief. Right? They're, they're, they're to be over like budgeting the church. They're to be over certain expenses for the church. You can see one of the reasons why they're to be full of wisdom, according to the apostles, right? So they're to help with the benevolence ministry. Another thing, and this is more modern, Given our liberties and current lack of persecution in America, we, we're able to have formal church buildings. And with that comes the responsibility of bills, right? paying bills and, and maintaining facilities. Well, what is that? What does that have to do with deacons? Well, that's an ordinary work, and it's a need for the church. Right? The church needs a place to meet. Right? We have to meet somewhere, and we have the privilege and liberty to assemble in formal church buildings. And that's awesome. But that also means that the deacons would be responsible for the maintenance and bill paying of the church. Uh, church building, rather. Uh, another thing, uh, deacons are to, be, are to make sure that ministers are compensated and taken care of financially, right? That is an ordinary church need, 
that ministers would be paid. So making sure the elders are paid is part of the job of the diaconate. And then one last example, serving tables is mentioned in Acts chapter 6, literally serving tables. So historically, the church understood that as being over benevolence ministries to the poor, but also historically, the church has seen this as uh, an example of preparing the literal table, serving the table of the Lord, that getting this prepared would be a job of the deacons as well. Now, there are so many other examples that could be given for potential responsibilities of the deacons. There's just a sampled list. But the principle is this. The deacons are to serve the church in whatever ordinary, day-to-day, I mean this with, with no disrespect, mundane tasks that, that need done in order for the poor to be cared for and to have the church function smoothly and to relieve the elders so that they can focus on their work of the ministry of the word and prayer. So next question. Does this then mean that only the deacons are to serve in the church? Um, does this mean that the deacons have to do all the work and the rest of the members just hang out and they show up and they do nothing? Right? Well, biblically, the answer is a, a little complicated. It's no. <laughs> right? No. Like, it's, it's no. Uh, let, let me give you some explicit statements of Scripture that call all members of the church to serve. I'm going to read you a few with little commenting. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. The Apostle Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. All of the Christians in Philippi have this mind. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a what? Of a servant, right? A deacon, a diakonos, being born in the likeness of men. So he says, all you Christians have this same mind of Christ. He considered himself a servant. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Well, how are you going to love someone in deed? You're going to serve them. You're going to help them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. By the way, brothers, that's the church, all of you. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. That's serve them. Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That is serve one another. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14 for you were called to freedom, brothers. Whole church is being addressed. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then finally, Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Again, do good to your brothers and sisters, how you're going to serve them, right? So this is not an exhaustive list of commands, right, that all the church is to serve. This is just a small sampling. But let it prove to you that the work of helping in the church, the work of meeting needs and serving, generically deaconing, is not only the responsibility of the deacons. I think Charles Spurgeon said it like this, the church is to be a working church. It's to be a working church. We are to care for one another. We are to seek to meet the needs of individuals, right, as individuals. It's not just the job of church officers. 
We do see a distinction between the officers and the membership, but it's not this huge clerical distinction that says members are to do nothing in the church. That doesn't exist in the scriptures. But let me put something else to you. I found this interesting as I studied Acts chapter 6. I think it's implied, considering the above passages that I mentioned, uh, combined with Acts chapter 6 itself and the greatness of the task assigned to the seven, that the seven original deacons must have had people helping them with their duties. Here's what I mean. Consider this for a moment. From what I can tell, statistically, the size, from the size of the church in Jerusalem, about 20,000 people, there would have been between 300 and 600 or more widows in the church, probably hovering around five or 600. Again, possibly more because the mortality rates were worse back then. But about five or 600 widows in the church who would need look after. And seven men who most likely had jobs and families, at least some of them, could not have done this solely by themselves week in and week out every single day indefinitely. Uh, now that, that's, that's just my opinion. You're, 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 you're welcome to trash that if you want. I think it's a very reasonable opinion. <laughs> I don't think that those seven men could have done it by themselves. They must have had people, ordinary members in the church, helping them. Right? The difference is that these men were appointed to the duty. They were appointed over it. That's why I like the King James better. They were appointed over it. The deacons were to be lead servants, right? Actually doing the work themselves, not, not just like foremen, but actually doing the work themselves. But that doesn't mean that they couldn't get volunteer assistance from other members to help them with the task that they had been appointed to. Right? So the deacons were the men responsible to see it done. Right? That's the difference. They were the ones who were responsible to see it done. They were to oversee the task and make sure it was completed. But that didn't mean that they didn't have help. And that may have been a double negative, but you'll be all right. All right, this tells me that the deacons can and should have the membership assist them when and where it is necessary and appropriate. But know this, the buck stops with the diaconate. It is their responsibility to make sure that whatever needs done gets done, similar to a manager. Actually, sometimes servants were called managers of the house. Just throwing that out there to you. But now we come to a fourth set of questions. What are the benefits of having deacons? Why do we need them? Right? What are the blessings of the diaconate? Why should we have deacons in the church? Well, first off, we need deacons because the Lord Jesus instituted the office of deacons through the apostle, and that should be good enough. Uh, right? So if we're going to have a church assembled and governed according to the mind of Christ, we must have deacons. You're to have members, elders, and deacons. So just remember this. Here's a little freebie for you. This is not your church, and it's not my church. It's Christ's church. We would all do very well to remember that. And if for no other reason, if he says we need deacons, then we need them. Right? So, again, that was just a thought that just smacked me this week. And not, not that I, I ever think that I lord things over anyone as an elder, but this isn't our church. It's not. <laughs> It's not, like, you may tithe to this church, but it's not your church. I may have God-given authority over this church, but it's not my church. It's Christ's church, so we do things according to the mind of Christ, because this is his bride, not ours. But more than that, we see that there are many blessings and benefits for having deacons. I, I have three for your consideration. First, the needy saints are taken care of when you have deacons. That's what we see in Acts 6. The ones in Christ's church who are helpless were able to appeal to a group who had been set apart to serve and help them. And what was the result? Their bellies were filled. Their bellies were filled. 
The poor were cared for. So the poor are cared for well when we have deacons, and nobody goes ignored or uncared for when there's a body of officers for them to appeal to in time of need. So deacons are a blessing that way for the poor saints. Second blessing, the church is blessed in that it functions smoothly. Right? The deacons handle and oversee a ton of thoughtless and thankless work. What I mean by that is the deacons take care of things that most members don't think about ever. Like small things, menial things, but very necessary things for the church to function smoothly. There are many preparations for the church in order to meet or have any kind of functions or, or outreach. And it is most often the, the deacon who is going to be working behind the scenes, yet who has never seen propelling the whole thing forward. So help the church function smoothly. Third, the church is blessed in that the elders can focus on ministering the word and praying. That's a huge blessing. The church being materially cared for by the deacons is open to be spiritually blessed by the elders faithfully studying, praying, and ministering the word publicly and privately. Being freed from the mundane work that distracts from the word and prayer, elders are able to better serve the spiritual needs of Christ's church. And we see this. I thought this was wild because I, I hadn't studied this before. In, in verse 7 of Acts chapter 6, this is the result of the newly established diaconate that freed up the apostles to preach. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. I don't think that that would have happened had, had the Lord not instituted the diaconate because they would have been so tied up in making sure hundreds of widows got their food. But the word of God increased. All of this in part because of the work of the deacons allowing their pastors to focus on ministering the word. So let it be known and remembered among us all that deacons are a gift from the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, a gift to us. Don't ever doubt the importance of the diaconate. But we come now to a final question. What does the office of deacon have to do with Jesus? Right, what does that have to do with the Lord Jesus? It's pretty clear with elders, if I could sound arrogant for a moment, it's pretty clear with elders uh, what, how their role relates to Christ, right? Elders preach, right? We declare the word of Christ. We preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shepherd and help guide and lead people as Jesus is the great shepherd, right? Like we're under shepherds under him. So that kind of makes sense. But how do deacons relate to Jesus? I would argue that while the elders' primary job is to proclaim Christ, it is the primary job of the deacons to show him. To show him. The church is meant, and again, I'm willing to, to hear some pushback on this, but I think I'm, I'm sound in saying this. The church is meant to mirror the ministry of our Lord Jesus, right? We are his body on earth. He is our head, but we are his body. We're meant to represent him. We're to mirror the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And what do we know about the ministry of Christ? It was one of word, elders, and it was certainly one of deed, deacons. So as their office is primarily concerned with serving people materially and serving the material needs of the congregation, we see that the diaconate helps to show Christ's people the mercy and service of their Lord. Remember, our Lord himself was a servant. As we read in Philippians chapter 2, he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. He came to earth, took on human flesh, and served people with his whole life. Right? Just consider all of the miracles 
that the Lord Jesus did. Now, I know when I've been preaching through Mark, I've been focusing very heavily on the fact that the miracles revealed the identity of Christ, right? And the miracles revealed his deity. But don't lose this. They were also sincere, true acts of mercy, weren't they? Blind people really could see afterwards. It wasn't just a show. He really did feed crowds of poor people. He really did heal droves of people who were infirm. They were acts of mercy. Jesus was a servant of the physical ailments and needs of nearly everyone who approached him. He was a servant. But not only materially, but our Lord also served us spiritually, did he not? Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Lord Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. How? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our Lord did not lord his authority and greatness over others. Rather, he made himself as nothing and served himself up as a sacrifice. He gave his life on behalf of the elect of God. He gave his life as a ransom for sinners in order to save them from their sins and the wrath of God. This is the ultimate service of our Lord. He laid his life down for us to to serve us by rescuing us from our sins and the penalty due to us for them. He's a servant. And the deacons mirror the acts of Jesus towards his people. They do many different acts of service and help. Know this, Jesus Christ is the chief deacon in the church. He's the chief deacon. He continues to serve us. Day in and day out, he makes intercession before the throne of God for us. And as the chief deacon, his life serves as an example for our deacons. He gave himself completely to the service of his people, did he not? In every way that he could give himself, he gave himself. He did it completely, and he did it gladly. He did it with everything that he had. He served. Know this, for our Lord, no task was too low. He washed the feet of the twelve, which was slave work. He did slave work, and no person was too low. He served women. He served children. He served lepers and outcasts. He served Gentiles. No task was too low. No person was too low. Our Lord is the model for the deacon. And deacons, in imitating him, are to be the leading and shining examples in the church of selfless service. If I could be so bold, you could think of it this way. Deacons are to be walking Christs among us. They, they can't save you from your sins. I don't mean that. I'm not a blasphemer. Um, but they are, to, they are to be walking reminders to us all of how our Lord served us. Just as elders are to remind us of our Lord by guiding and teaching us what we desperately need to know, deacons are to remind us of what it means to serve and be merciful and helpful to the people of God. So deacons have much in every way to do with our Lord. But now moving into application, what do we, what do, we do with this? I have three brief things, and yes, I, they really truly are brief. <laughs> three things that I want to say by way of application in light of all of this. First, to the deacons of our church, be reminded of what you're calling, duties, attitudes, and responsibilities are as duly appointed official servants of the church of Christ. Take them seriously. You are needed in this church. You are valuable to this church. You have been given as a gift to Christ's sheep in this congregation. We need you. So to the deacons, I charge you to renew yourself to the work 
and rededicate yourself to the service of the redeemed of God. Fulfill your vocation. Fulfill your calling. To the congregation in general, I want you to see the value of the diaconate. I want you to thank God for them in your prayers. And I want you to pray for them and seek to assist them in their serving, however you might be able to. I want you to encourage them and show them the respect that their office commands. And I want you to recognize them as gifts to you. And lastly, for all of us, I want you to see the importance of service and the beauty and the fact that it actually shows our Savior when we serve. Deacon or not, it's beautiful. It's wonderful to see how the church is intended to function. And when it functions well and all are cared uh, rather, when it functions well and all things are properly in order, God blesses and his people are cared for in all areas. It's beautiful. And we all imitate the Lord Jesus when we serve. And we all, even if we aren't deacons, are called to serve one another in some way and be useful to the people of God, to be useful for Christ's church. But in closing, let me leave you with our Lord's definition of greatness. This is very fitting for the ending of this topic. Mark chapter 10, verses 43 and 44. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, must be your diakonos, your deacon. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. That is true greatness. To serve others in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is greatness. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we pray that you would put in our hearts, all of us, deacon or not, that we might be true servants of our brothers and sisters as we seek to be slaves to the Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would bless our deacons. We thank you for them. We praise you for them. Bless them. Help them to renew their heart for the work that you've laid upon them. Help us to trust them and show them the respect that they deserve in their office. Lord, I pray that you would grant us more deacons, men who are equipped and qualified and have hearts to serve. Lord, I pray that you would help us all, again, help us all to be servants and to imitate our Lord who came not to be served. God, put that into our hearts. He came not to be served, but to serve. Help us to imitate him, all of us, deacon or not. We pray this in his name. Amen.